أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد ونمعاذ رضي الله تعالى عنه قال قلت يا رسول الله أخبرني بعمل يدخلني الجنة ويباعدني عن النار قال لقد سألت عن عظيم وإنه ليسير على من يسره الله تعالى عليه تعبد الله ولا تشرك به شيئا وتقيم الصلاة وتؤت الزكاة وتصوم وتحج البيت إن استطعت إليه سبيلا ثم قال ألا أدلك على أبواب الخير الصوم جنة والصدقة تطفئ الخطيئة كما يطفئ الماء النار والصلاة الرجل من جوف الليل ثم تلا تتجافى جنوبهم عن المضاجع حتى بلغ يعملون ثم قال ألا أخبرك برأس الأمر وعموده وذروة السنامه قلت بلا يا رسول الله قال رأس الأمر الإسلام وعموده الصلاة وذروة السنامه عفوا الجهاد ثم قال ألا أخبرك بملاك ذلك كله قلت بلا يا رسول الله فأخذ بلسانه قال كف عليك هذا قلت يا رسول الله وإنا لم أخذونا بما نتكلم به فقال ثقلتك أمك وهل يكب الناس في النار على وجوههم إلا حصائد ألسنتهم راه الترمذي وقال حديث حسن صحيح قد سبق شرحه باب قبل هذا. So this is like uh, amazing. These are like the mashallah. I'm having like mishkatul masabih flashbacks from 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 madrasa. Which, by the way, this young man's grandfather teaching online. I don't know if it's too late to sign up for it, but you should sign up. Amazing class. I know a lot of people here, mashallah, are uh, 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 you know. You're somewhat on your way in your your uh, study of ilm, and uh, um, maybe you're here just like you know for some pietitis on a Sunday afternoon, or uh, because you like gayusa or for the zikr or whatever. But uh, uh, these are those things, mashallah. The hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi all of it is the pure light from the heart of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and it's bound up in these books. And so reading these hadith again after so many years. Uh, it reminds me of that, that 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 pure and pleasant experience, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam sometimes in certain hadith of his that are not all that long, binds up so much meaning and so much understanding, uh, and in particular the meaning and understanding that people are are missing, they're lacking, because the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is to many people like a personal do-it-yourself construction project. That they make up a Nabi in their mind and then they, they venerate that. Or they say that's the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Whereas the actual Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the things he used to do and say are recorded in the books. There's no person in the Muslim world uh, uh, unless, they, uh, uh, unless they are extremely good at taqiyah, being quiet and not saying a word for their own safety. There's nobody who doesn't love the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, but there are many people who have no idea who he is sallallahu alaihi wasallam. There are people who, if they see a turban and a beard, they have an aversion. But if you ask them, do you, do you have a problem with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, they would say no. 
It's just because they're what's in their mind. God knows what it is, you know. But it's not. It doesn't resemble Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, or at any rate, it bears some inaccuracies in it. Uh, and so, what better way to know who the actual Rasul alayhi wasallam is but to read his hadith? So this is a hadith, a relatively short hadith, but it contains so much with regards to the deen uh, and such a comprehensive picture. So, Sayyidina Mu'adh radiyallahu ta'ala anhu was a young man. He was the personal. Uh, he was he was a young man from the Ansar. He was one of the authorized Quran teachers uh, from Khazraj, and he was one of the great fuqaha of the companions radiyallahu ta'ala anhum. And notice there was there was like, uh, uh, um, here move in move inside. There was a uh, uh, you know a preference in political leadership for patrician nobility, <laughs> for people from high birth, from particular tribes, al min Quraysh, things like that, right? But for ilm there isn't. For ilm it's meritocracy. One of the reasons why why uh, uh, there is some preference for for uh, patrician nobility to rule in politics is because practically they're the ones who have the means to actually get things done, oftentimes. And if there's a, a case in which that's, you know a person, another person can get it done, then it's not itself a virtue to be of a particular family or whatever, uh, or descent or lineage in order to be a leader, but it's impractical sometimes for some people not to. Whereas with ilm, you'll see this, you'll see this that the Prophet ﷺ would promote people <coughs> Uh, of different tribal <coughs> affiliations, Hudayl. I mean, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiAllahu Taala Anhu, from Hudayl. That's not, and there he wasn't even from Quraysh. They were like herders in Badu. Uh, and here you see Sayyidina Mu'adh bin Jabal radiAllahu Anhu, who is definitely not a Qarashi, um, but uh, he reached a high maqam in ilm. What does the Dean venerate more, political leadership or knowledge? Knowledge. Rather, the ulama are a check on on the political leaders. So he says, it's just narrated from Sayyidina Mu'adh bin Jabal radiallahu anhu. He said, I said, O Messenger of Allah, inform me of a deed that will enter me into paradise and will take me far away or distance me from the fire. He said, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you asked about something, an enormity, something very enormous. He said, but it's easy for the person who Allah makes, Allah most high makes it easy for them. Worship Allah Ta'ala and don't associate with him anything establish the prayer and give zakat and fast and make hajj of the sacred house if you're able to find a way to it then he said shall I not inform you or shall not shall I not guide you to the doors of goodness he said that fasting is a shield it's a like a self-defense mechanism and this is this is I mean it's Given that this is a dars of tasawwuf, this is a very practical method that a person can use in order to make the dhrib of, of, of the nafs. You know, if you find yourself, I don't know, watching kitty cat videos on TikTok for more time than you should, uh, you know, then, uh, you know, fast the next time you do it. And it will deter you or at least it will slow you down because war uh, sometimes cannot be one in one day it's a war of attrition it's a slow slug and so what did the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam said the fasting is like a shield so people should use it like that 
people should use it like that. Like even though it's not Ramadan and it's not Ashura or whatever, uh, but you can fast other days as well and use it as a shield to protect yourself from all sorts of bad things like kitty cat videos. Uh, um, and you, f this is that the fasting is a shield, and sadaqa, uh, giving charity extinguishes a sin, like water extinguishes fire. This is one of the screwed up things about uh, our the way our life is modeled right now. So you don't have anybody to give sadaqa to, or we do, but we turn our noses up because of our Protestant sensibilities. But Martin Luther isn't an imam. Nor is John Calvin. Nor are any of the other uh, cast of characters uh, from Kenneth Copeland, who literally, if you watch videos of it, looks like he's, he suffers from demon possessions. There are moments in which you can literally see the tajalli of shaitan coming through the man's face. Or, you know, whatever. There's all sorts of options. You know, you're the bishop, like, honorable bishop, whatever, whatever, from the Mount Zion tabernacle of the holy Yuhei Wahe, Jesus Christ of the Hebrew national, uh, whatever, uh, church uh, just up the street in Maywood. All of it. None of them are imams. Uh, in their deen, it's poor people are like a blight and giving to them is not good you should give your money to rich people you shouldn't give your money to poor people because rich people are virtuous and poor people are the scum of the earth whereas mashallah in the Muslim world that's like a cool thing like people you don't have to give like you don't have to write a check for like $500 when he's like someone asks you for something someone will take out like whatever uh, 5 rupee or 10 rupee note I mean like I, I'm the Pakistan in my mind is like before significant amounts of inflation so whatever the equivalent of that is now right um, <coughs> but yeah sadaqah is great it's wonderful a person should give it a person should give it and the thing is like everybody loves their money right so that means like giving even a small amount it's not gonna like, quote unquote change the world but it does mean something with Allah Ta'ala so the messenger of Allah Sallallahu is saying that the sadaqah extinguishes sin like water extinguishes fire so that's that's good. That's great. If the fasting isn't like a total, uh, a total solution to your problems or whatever, then give money. Just like a military has, like a, a you know, in the old days they used to have a cavalry and they had infantry and they had artillery and they had archers and they had this and that. That uh, these are all different methods a person can employ upon the, the spiritual path. Giving sadaqah is like very heavy firepower, and uh, the, the weirdest thing, weirdest thing, nobody wants to give to another person. Everybody wants to give to a building. If Allah Ta'ala cared about the brick that your mustard is made out of so much, why would He send floods that destroy even the granite stone blocks that the Kaaba is made of? But more beloved to Allah Ta'ala is people and nobody wants to spend a dime on anybody else. And, uh, you know, nobody wants to forget about the Imam of the Masjid Miskin. He's going to suffer because he's going to Jannah. That's okay. We've like written him off, right? Your own relatives, your own poor relatives, your own relatives that are struggling. Sadaqah can be that as well, right? Your own poor relatives ask for something, even the ones that you don't like. In fact, the less you like the relatives, probably it's quite possible the more reward you'll get for giving to them, right? 
So like, you know, give money to people, it's good. It's a really good thing. And this is one of the things we don't have beggars over here because, uh, you know, prosperity gospel has criminalized begging. Uh, and begging is definitely not a good thing, but if a person needs to, uh, the sharia allows for it. So the fact that, you know, you can't criminalize necessity, that's just kind of part of life. So there are some people in, in, in society that need, uh, and so, you know, you should give to them. You should not hold back from them. Uh, you should give to them, and you don't have to break the bank. Just give what you have. And uh, if they, like, roll their eyes at you because what you gave them is not, you know, enough to make them happy or whatever, then, uh, you know, you're not giving for them, you're giving for Allah Ta'ala. They say that say Aisha Allah Ta'ala and how used to perfume the coins uh, that she would give to the beggars. And so someone asked, like, why do you do that? They're just going to spend it on something. So I'm not doing it for them. Rather, this is, this is the, my, my way of showing love to Allah Ta'ala who I'm giving it for. And the prayer of uh, man in the belly of the night. Um, MashaAllah, thank God for desperation. If it wasn't for desperation, a lot of people would never even know what tahajjud is. And if you're desperate, then maybe you should try it too. Uh, big things happen because, and it gets old after a while. Like you have problems in your life and you're like, oh, the sky is falling. And then what happens the next day, your problems get solved. And then the next time you have a problem, then you feel like the sky is falling. It gets old after a while. Allah Ta'ala takes care of people. And even, even, even when you die, you only die once. So uh, let a person uh, uh, go to the salat in the middle of the night and ask Allah Ta'ala for, for, for his needs. Allah Ta'ala gives. Then uh, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam read the ayat from Surah Sajda that, that they're the people who separate their sides from their beds uh, um, uh, to the end of the ayah. Then he says, Shall I not inform you of the head of this entire affair and the pillars that support it and the the pinnacle of it the dirwatu sanam is what is the uh, um, the 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 part of the camel which is the top of the hump the highest part of the camel the apex right so the head is one thing and the dirwatu sanam is the apex the the highest part although I guess theoretically like a camel could flex its neck and stick its nose above its hump maybe I don't know but at any rate the head is one thing and then the, the hump is the, the apex the highest part of it so you want to know what is deen right Muslim organizations spend money prize the money to <laughs> put, put like posters on the side of the bus uh, you know talking about what is Islam to me Okay, the Prophet tells him, now it's your turn to share. What does Islam mean to you, right? Uh, uh, so you can judge which one is more important to you than the other. He says, that shall I not inform you what the head of the affair is and what pillars, uh, what, uh, pillars it rests upon and what its apex is? And Sayyidina Mu'adha radiallahu anhu said, I said, indeed, O Messenger of Allah. Uh, he said, the head of the affair is Islam, meaning what? Meaning that a person should submit to Allah Ta'ala uh, and in particular meaning that a person should uh, rigorously implement the dictates of the Sharia uh, upon themselves outwardly. And the pillars upon which it rests is the prayer itself. Without the prayer all the rest of it is meaningless. Uh, literally meaningless. I don't know. I guess I feel like a broken record because when I say it everyone's looking at me like okay of course but I grew up in a house where the prayer was completely wasted and that never occurred to anybody that like somehow you're not a Muslim a proper Muslim for this 
So there are people like that out there. So they should be reminded. Uh, just as I was reminded at one time. May Allah bless the ones who reminded me. And send salat and salams on his Prophet wasallam. He says that the pillars upon which it rests is the salat. And the apex is jihad. Uh, and so this is this is a, I mean this is also important although it's not the Bab of Jihad we already passed that from before but uh, this is one reason I feel like it's like a real Aqidah problem and it's a real uh, problem in people's uh, suluk that they don't acknowledge what this is that they don't understand what this is tell me something someone is a Sufi like I believe in you know being a good person to everybody right what better person is there to everybody than the person who like leaves his house uh, and puts his own wealth and his own life <coughs> in danger in order to make the deen of Allah Ta'ala supreme and bring justice to those people who have no justice and to repel oppression from those people who are yoked in slavery and to uh, make the world a better place. If that's not spiritual, then all the rest of your spirituality is all like Walmart made in China spirituality. And it's going to give you cancer. And it's disgusting and I don't want any of it. Otherwise, there's no more Sufi than the person who goes out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, uh, you know, the people who are like pacifists, they don't belong with the Sufiya, they belong with the Qadianis who literally preach pacifism. Uh, as well as as well as well uh, saying that whoever opposes the rule of the British in our homeland is the son of a whore or whatever. Verbatim words from a man who claimed he was a Nabi. So uh, this is this is Islam. This is the actual Islam that the Prophet Sallallahu was describing. Then he said, "Shall I not inform you uh, of how to how to control how to like how to how to control all of it, how to be uh, in control of all of it?" He said, "Indeed, O Messenger of Allah." Then the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he physically took his tongue in his hand. He said afterward, uh, hold this back uh, from, from against yourself. I said, O Messenger of Allah, will we be taken to account about things we say? Right? The question is, is this like really a deed? Like, okay, I didn't commit zina and I didn't, but this, just, this is just talking. Is this really like that big of a deal? And the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, may your mother mourn you. Like, so if you're, you're like dead, so may your mother mourn you. Uh, and do you think people will be uh, dragged uh, uh, in the fire uh, on their faces uh, except for because of the harvest that is reaped by their tongues like everything your tongue says is a crop that's planted and then the harvest of it is going to either take you to the hellfire or it'll take you to Jannah and this is this last part of the hadith is the munasaba of uh, of why this hadith, uh, which otherwise has a, a number of different things dealt with it, uh, dealt with in it, is brought here in the chapter regarding the prohibition of backbiting. But you know, like uh, my sheikh, like Mulana Saji Mulana Hassan, he always says, he says that just you know, just like that, like how, how many horrible things can happen from the tongue, right? Person go to Jahannam for. You know, saying dumb things just like that, mashallah. The tongue is like a machine of doing good deeds as well. So, engage it with the recitation of Quran and saying subhanallah and saying nice things to people and good things to people, giving them good advice, etc. 
Um, but yeah, it can go really wrong if a person is just prattle uh, gossip auntie about everything all the time. It's not good. وعن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال أتدرون ما الغيبة قالوا الله ورسوله أعلم قال ذكرك أخاك بما يكره قيل أفرأيت إن كان في أخي ما أقول قال إن كان فيه ما تقول فقد اغتبته وإن لم يكن فيه ما تقول فقد بهته رواه مسلم سيدنا أبو هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه uh, it's narrated from him that the Prophet the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, do you know what backbiting is? Uh, they said, uh, Allah and his Messenger know best sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, mentioning your brother with that thing that he dislikes. It was said, do you not see, what do you say about uh, if what I say about my brother is true? It's actually <laughs> a, a trait that's actually there in him, present in him. And he said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if what you say about him is uh, like you say, then you have backbitten him. If what you say about him isn't is not there, however, uh, you've slandered him. It's another sin. Muhtan, you've you you've slandered him. It's a different sin. It's also haram. Uh, so just because something is true doesn't make it not not backbiting. And like we mentioned in the dars from before as well, saying, "Oh, I say it to his face," uh, that's that's uh, uh, that's lums. That's a different that's a different sin. All of them are sins. Again, there's like this whole, you know, fiqhi rubric about legitimate reasons to backbite. Those are the exception. Someone's like, oh, I'm going to go and take a gun and shoot Hamza. Okay, then you can go tell me about it. It's no longer backbiting or whatever. But uh, in the middle, there's a lot of stuff that really people don't have a legitimate interest in knowing. There's no benefit in, in knowing it to just transmit it here and there. It's not, it's not good. In that sense, even things, you know, there are some things that a person has a legitimate interest in knowing about. People send me all sorts of things. Oh, this YouTube video in which someone airs all their dirty laundry against somebody. And then the other person airs all their dirty laundry against them as well. And so what do you think about this, Sheikh? Like, I don't know. Why should I think about this? Why do I care? So like, no, it's a legitimate interest. These people are like, you know, they're imams and they're this and that. It's like, look, I didn't learn fit from any of them. I didn't tell anybody to learn fit from any of them. Uh, a and B, the sharia is all documented in books. So even if theoretically, alhamdulillah, to this point it's never happened, but even if theoretically the people I learned from, you know, went down in a blaze of scandal, uh, uh, you know, that it's not, it's not them that I learned it from. It's, the books and the traditions that's already documented. We're not dependent on, on personalities in that sense. And I say, on top of all of that, on top of all of that, there may be somebody in the world that has a legitimate interest of knowing some of these things and they can make islah. They can rectify something that's broken. Whether it's breaking broken people's relationships, making them functional again, or whether it's returning... Uh, uh, a, a, a something that somebody took without right from another person, or whether it's punishing somebody who has wronged another person in order to uh, restore some semblance of justice. When the hell am I that guy? It's not me and it's not you. If it is you, Allah help you. But until it is, why do you care? It happens once, it'll happen twice. How many times does it happen until you're, you realize that you really can't do anything about any of it? Uh, if you can do something about it useful, please by all means go ahead and do it. But there's a lot of, I feel like, uh, 
there's a lot of this kind of like fantasizing about being able to do stuff about things that you're not really going to do anything about. So if you've already written it off, like this is one of the problems of having too much information, which we talked about yesterday. It's not good. You you just it just numbs a person to whatever is, you know, whatever is of benefit in their life. You can't do everything all the time. Who's the only one who can do everything all the time? Allah Taala. You know, so you just gotta like own up to that. That's part of your la ilaha illallah is not to, not to fantasize about like you know being some sort of omnipotent control of the world or whatever. And don't listen to things that you can't do anything about. Yes. Oh, um, so whenever you're mentioning that like that you kind of abstain from getting involved in these dramas, but if you're in a position where you could do something, but and you can be helpful, but you chose to abstain, is, that, is there is there any? Look, if you're in a position, you're saying you're in a position that you can and you cannot. These things are issues of authority. If you're the Qadi and you're like, oh, I don't want to get involved in people's problems, you're going to go to Jahannam. That's your, that's your responsibility at that point. If someone asks you a question, you're the Mufti, and you don't answer their question, that's your problem. The question arises, why in the world would somebody want to be an authority if they didn't have to? It's just a bunch of liability, and the, the benefit is hardly worth it. But, by necessity, we have to have, as human societies, some people and some types of authority. So the question is what? If you're an authority, can you ignore it? No. If you're not an authority, then should you probably ignore it? Yes. If no authority exists, should it be made? Yes. It has to. It's farth kifaya, all of these things. There needs to be a sultan to make sure that people are not like, mugging each other on the street. There needs to be a, a sultan to make sure that, like, you know, like the whatever fentanyl dealing gang doesn't, like, you know, get elected to the board of the masjid, which sometimes it does, right? If there's authority, then it's the authority's problem. If there's, you're not the authority, it's not your problem. If there's no authority, what is the proper way of going about doing something about that? You watching somebody else's like drama and trauma and problems in the same way that like a pornography addict watches pornography? Or working toward some sort of systemic authority that's not ad hoc based on just this one freak out that happened? Which do you think is a better solution? You have some sort of centralized authority. You have someone who's trained in order to be able to dispense it. You have you gather enough political clout to put it, and then cases can go through and flow like on a system without bias toward one thing or another. But to let the cycle of foolery of human beings uh, uh, incite you to do this, and then the next day it incites you to do that. So today it makes you face north and go north, and then tomorrow it makes you face east and go east, and then the next day it makes you go west. This is stupid. You're just going to walk in circles for the whole rest of your life. It's not a way of dealing with things. I think this is more the, 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 the issue I'm trying to say. Of course, there's a necessity for people to be in, but this, there's nobody. You're not. Nobody is going to be in the situation where, like, you know, if I really cared, I could be the qadi, but I'm not going to. That's not how any of that works, right? Uh, if there is no qadi, that's that's the problem that you should be worried about. Not that like. You know, they caught so and so like uh, famous like die uh, curb stomping a puppy or whatever. Like that's not, that's not, that's not the that's not the, that that issue. That's not what's gonna help anyone uh, with that or things like that. So uh, 
Yeah, وعن أبي بكر رضي الله تعالى عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال في خطبته يوم النحر بمنن في حجة الوداع إن دماءكم وأموالكم وأعراضكم حرام عليكم كحرمة يومكم هذا في شهركم هذا في بلدكم هذا على هل بلغت متفق عليه This is a small snippet of what the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said uh, at what was possibly one of the, if not the largest gatherings that was assembled before him during his Mubarak life, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that he said on his khutbah on the day of Eid in Mina, uh, in his farewell Hajj, which was the only time he went on Hajj in Islam, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. After and this a snippet of it, uh, otherwise the whole hadith is after, after asking what. What day is this? What month is this? What land is this? Knowing it's the most sacred day of the most sacred month of the most sacred land. He said what? He says that indeed your blood and your honor. He says indeed your blood and your property and your honor are haram. They're inviolable. They're sacred boundary. You can't touch another man's uh, uh, blood or his. Uh, property or his honor they're haram for you just like this day is sacred and just like this month is sacred and just like this land is sacred and then this Allah al-balaghtu is addressed to who? to Allah Ta'ala have I not conveyed the message? so the thing is this right? These all these three things sadly the ummah is uh, Ummah is has disregard for all of them, and uh, you know, as a, a a very novice student of aqidah, I feel like this is actually one of the biggest problems in the Ummah right now. More than more than what people think are the problems is what is that Allah Taala who said, "Man adali waliyan faqad bilharb." The fact that we treat each other like garbage it's like really problematic. It's spiritually we're basically sabotaging ourselves. That Allah Ta'ala said, whoever is, uh, makes an enemy of a friend of mine, um, I declare war on them. What does that mean about everybody whose enemies are all Muslims? And the fun thing is, right, the wali is not, not the wali camel, the person that a person thinks of as some sort of like super nabi, right? No, no, by, by akhira, no one can be like that. The definition of a wali according to the aqaid of Islam are what? Whoever is from the Ahlul Qibla. So it could even be Mubtada, it could even be like a deviant innovator. As long as you don't have the proof that they're a kafir, you treat them like a wali of Allah Ta'ala, that's it. And uh, this is like really problematic, the fact that we sometimes find ourselves, especially people who do work in the community, find ourselves um, cherishing the enmity of our own brothers and sisters more than we, more than we see evil amongst others. We see evil within the ummah more than we see it outside. And uh, that's problematic. That's problem. Most masajid is sadly like this, right? If someone walks off the street, then people are going to be like, "Oh, you know, Islam means peace. Have a seat. Here's your like little bag with like a topi and a janamaz and a translation of the Quran and and uh, you know, whatever." And then like a Muslim walks off the street in a bad situation or a bad state and astaghfirullah, don't you know any better? Don't you this? Don't you that? Didn't your parents raise you? Didn't this? Didn't that? You know, it's a problem. And if someone walks off the street in a bad state, that's bad. But like, their Islam should mean something to you. 
should have some objective difference. It should result in some objective difference in how you treat them. It should have some worth to you, right? Um, so that's that's problematic. And so uh, Rasulullah wasallam. I mean, if he's going to take this opportunity to say what? That your blood is haram. Most people in America, we don't like kill each other because the cops have radios. Otherwise, we would have done it. People do it. Muslims commit acts of violence against one another. But in general, most people, they don't want to go to prison because Pakistanis don't like usually bench press more than 115 pounds. So they're like, well, how am I going to go to jail, right? Inshallah, our brothers, mashallah, you guys can do like, you know, whatever, 500 push-ups or something like that. But, uh, you know, people don't want to go there anyway. If it wasn't for that, people, you'd see them. They'd punch each other, hit each other, kick each other, kill each other. What's the proof? Go to the Muslim world. People treat, treat each other like people kill each other. They literally bleed each other in the streets. If that's not profanity and blasphemy, then I don't know what is. Otherwise, the killing of another Muslim, the spilling of the blood of another Muslim is, uh, uh, you know, it's the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and even the Qur'an itself, it, it, it describes it as kufr. And the fuqaha make ta'wil of it. They say that this is metaphorical. This is not literal kufr. But it talks about it as if it's kufr, which is like a really big deal. Mawlana Qamar Zaman Saab, who gifted the small sibha uh, that's hanging on the, on the, on the hook, I remember hearing in a bayan of his that he quoted an athar that whenever the blood of a, of a Muslim is spilled without haq in a place, for 40 days the la'anat of Allah Ta'ala reigns in that, in that place. The, Allah's curse reigns in that place for 40 days because of how enormous what happened is in, in the eyes of Allah Ta'ala. But look at it, man. every single Muslim country people are killing each other. Every people kill each other, they harm each other, they hate each other, they make threats against each other, and all the way to the point where people kill one another. And uh, 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 the even more disgusting and gross thing about it is that many of them then claim that we're the ones that are bringing the hukum of Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We're the ones who are establishing the caliphate. We're the ones who are the righteous people. We're the ones who are this and that. And they actually parade and flag around what 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 they see as the righteousness of their cause as a justification for doing all of those things. Whereas if your cause was actually righteous, you wouldn't do that. And someone's like, oh, this is impractical. Man, that's why being a righteous, like Imam Adil is manabir min nur ala yameen rahman wa kilta yameen. That's why the maqam is so high. It's not easy to do. What do we do? We do the opposite. We do the opposite. I remember, you know, after 9-11, people started saying the craziest thing. Jihad is only defensive war. Haven't you read the seerah of the Prophet The same person, you'll never hear them speak out about the killing of another Muslim. It's a complete, like, it's a complete refusal to, like, cope with how the real world works. And to put the burden on, or to put the burden, to put the, uh, the, 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 the burden and the, the lack of value to put the value on kufr and to put the burden and lack of value upon the people of Islam somehow as 
you know, your recompense in the hereafter being a justification for treating each other like garbage. The recompense in the hereafter is because you're not garbage. You say, La ilaha, la ilaha illallah, you have some worth with Allah Ta'ala. So the point of saying all of this is not to say that, you know, oh, you know it's okay to like harm or kill uh, non-Muslims. That's not the point at all. But the point is, is that when you treat another person with a different standard, that's because of a sickness inside of your own heart. It's a cheapness inside of your own heart. And not to be too self-helpy about it, but that's the thing, right? If a person doesn't love themselves, how are they going to love their brother? Loving yourself, you know, after a certain point, it becomes arrogance. But the fine line of what differentiates between those things is that you you love this thing Allah gave, the fadl that He gave to everybody who said, La ilaha illallah, you can acknowledge that this is not something I did anything to deserve, nor is it something I can ever do anything to repay, nor is it something that I gave. But you have to recognize also that this has some value with Allah Ta'ala, it's a valuable thing. Uh, that's not arrogance, that's uh, having that's having faith. Uh, and so this is a really scary and dangerous thing. One of the most beautiful things about many of even political movements that Muslims find like heroic, who are they? They're the people who decided to give up fighting their own brothers and exerted their energy into uh, into taking Islam to the places that it wasn't there from before. That's one of the reasons people are fascinated by places like Sicily and like Andalus. That's why people are fascinated by the Murabitun, who instead of like fighting one another in Africa, they took the army across and they saved uh, Andalusia from being uh, eaten up by the Reconquista. Uh, they're fascinated by the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire took the deen to lands that it had hitherto never been. Otherwise, much of what was Rumelia, in fact, none of what was Rumelia was under the European side of the Ottoman Empire was under the hukum of Islam from before, except for maybe parts of Crimea or, or, or parts of the other side of the Black Sea that they ruled for some time. That's why, you know, like all the most, in fact, successful and culturally vibrant empires there was what? Babur, right? He conquered uh, the Indian subcontinent. He was like an Uzbek warlord, a rough, tough, like Turkic warlord who enjoyed, uh, uh, you know, who enjoyed uh, narcotics. Interesting guy. Not going to win the Imam Ghazali award anytime soon, but he was a good man. He loved Allah and his Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi and he had his quirks and hang-ups and used to acknowledge it's not good. At some point or another, he just got sick of fighting other Muslims. He said, "I made Toba." He says, "After this day, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight. I'm not gonna fight Muslims anymore." And that's why he conquered. He conquered the Indian subcontinent. Now, even like the BJP guys, they're like, oh, these Muslims like murdered like 900 billion people or whatever, or like whatever weird like logic or reason proof like accusations they made. But the fact of the matter is, nobody wants to visit the Monkey Temple. Everyone wants to visit the Taj Mahal, the Red Fort. Everybody wants to visit Agra and Delhi. They didn't build those cities, we built them. The fact of the matter is that none of them even understand, you know, the, the language that they that they deploy now. <coughs> but everyone understands Indian movies. Indian movies are not in Hindi, they're in Urdu. Uh, which is not something I'm boasting about. I'm just saying that the language like it's inextricable from that land what they gave what they gave to the people. And so uh, you know, what's his name? Ravi Shankar. He's, he's, he's Bengali, you know that? The sitar maestro. He had to fake conversion to Islam in order to learn how to play the sitar. Because all of the best, the sitar and tabla masters were all Muslims. And then he later on made tajalli of his kufr later on. 
but he learned adab from the Muslims. He said, I came to Woodstock, and I saw Jimi Hendrix play. I thought, this man is really talented. This is amazing. Like, he's like, I was just listening to him. Then he said that he, because the guy was up, like, on some drugs. So at the end of it, he took his guitar and smashed it into the amp. He said, I was so disgusted by this, like, breach of adab. Because imagine, playing musical instruments is what? It's haram, right? But if you were, like, a pious Muslim who played a musical instrument... Would you smash your instrument into the into the? Does that sound like okay, at the day like we made a khatam of Bukhari and Audhu Billah? Somebody's like you know like <laughs> people would be horrified. They'd be like, "What is this?" You know. Uh, uh, so he was like, he was, he was I was horrified. I didn't come back to America for decades after that. He said, "This thing I just saw, I couldn't deal." With. Where, who did you learn Adab from? Right. Uh, uh, and so you know that's a Mubarak decision to make. Inshallah, if you ever get hemmed into a corner where all of your bandwidth is taken up in like negative negativity toward other Muslims maybe you should like shoot for a change of venue and try to change things up there's a big world out there if all you can do is be a hater go find some more evil people to hate on inshallah and then Allah will reward you for being a hater right Allah uh, Ta'ala uh, give give us all tawfiq I guess when Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha qalat qultu linnabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hasbuka min safiyata kada wa kada قال بعض الرواة تعني قصيرة فقال قد قلت كلمة مزجت بماء البحر مزجته قالت حكيت له إنسانا فقال ما أحب أني حكيت إنسانا وإن لي كذا وكذا رواه أبو داود والترمذي وقال هو حديث حسن صحيح ومعنى مزجته خالطته مخالطة يتغير بها طعمه أو ريحه لشدة نتنها وقبحها وهذا الحديث من أبلغ, أبلغ الزواجر عن الغيبة وقال تعالى وما ينطق عن الهوان هو إلا وحي يوحى So, Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha has narrated that uh, she said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam once enough she said to him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam you know, it's enough for you uh, to know about Safiya 
وهي أم المؤمنين بنت حيين ابن أخطبة النظيرية the wife of the Prophet sallallahu uh, and she described her as such and such some of the narrators say meaning that she was indicating that she's short and the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi said that you said such a you said such a thing right now such an utterance that if it was mixed with the water of all of the sea um, it would have made its water stink um, and she says but I, I was just saying like how she really is and uh, 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 he said وسلم, I wouldn't I wouldn't be induced to say what you said even if you're just saying how she is even if I had this or if I had that uh, so the point is that he's he, he's telling her not to uh, 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 not to uh, n- not to s- talk like that about other people, insinuating something about her, which is um, that she would not like her in a way that she would not like, even if it is true. And Nawawi rahimullah ta'ala make sure to bring the hadith of the Prophet, uh, the, ayah of the, the ayat of the Quran, that he doesn't speak from his own vain desire, rather that when he speaks, it's a uh, uh, revelation that's revealed to him. وعن أنس رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لما عرج بمررت بقوم لهم أظهار من نحاس يخمشون بها وجوههم وصدورهم فقلت من هؤلاء يا جبريل قال هؤلاء الذين يأكلون لحوم الناس ويقعون في أعراضهم رواه أبو داود رضي رحمه الله تبارك وتعالى So he said that uh, Sayyidina Anas رضي الله تعالى who said that the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم when he was raised up into Jannah during the Mi'raj said I passed by some people who had um, nails made out of uh, uh, is like copper right um no, Qitar is copper, Nuhas is, I think, brass. Uh, um, uh, but uh, some metal, basically. And so they're scratching themselves, they're scratching their faces, and they're scratching their chests, they're causing, they're wounding themselves when they scratch themselves with it. They itch so much, and their nails are made out of this, like, really hard material, and it's causing them to be wounded and bleed. And uh, this is one of the punishments of the hellfire. And so uh, uh, I, he, he, he said, I asked, who are, who are they? O Jibreel, he said, and Sayyidina Jibreel alayhi salam responded that they're the people who eat the uh, the dead flesh of others by um, by uh, uh, falling into uh, um, by falling into uh, uh, ripping down their honor by their speech. وعن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال كل المسلم على المسلم حرام دمه وعرضه وماله رواه مسلم. And so this is again a repetition of this thing that all the all the jins of Muslimin, all of them are sacred or inviolable to every other Muslim. In their uh, in their blood and in their honor and in their wealth that you can't you you are not allowed to violate the honor of any of these things. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq wa sallallahu ta'ala wa sallam ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.